Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off impress manicure and presson falsies. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready, and there will be no popcorn. Welcome to another edition of No Encores Movies and Music Offshoot. It's episode 37. It's In the Heights, which you heard there, leading us in all very jaunty and stuff. And we'll be getting to that musical in just a short space of time. I'm joined by Norma Howard. Hi, I'm back. Triumphant return for the musicals. Um, before we get to Dave Higgins, you did miss our last episode. It was about the doors. It was a scheduling conflict. You watched the film and you told me to let everyone know that you thought it was one out of five. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate briefly on that? Um, not massively. I had very little interest in the doors pre-film and now I have less. But you watched it anyway, which is amazing. Well, <laughs> so. I've less after watching the film. It just made me realise how they don't have very many tunes and Jim Morrison seems like a terrible person. Is that yeah, fair? Probably fair. I mean, I did get some opposition to the last episode. Some people were like, well, how can you say that they, they, they were talentless and had no tunes? And it was like, oh, it's all subjective, man. I don't want to get into I mean, doors they have, they have, I think I, couldn't, I could name five good tunes and those five songs were replayed in the film about five times each. So, I mean... They got they got their money's worth out of it. So you had a ball, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Can you name more than five door songs? In general, uh, yeah. I, off the top of your head, light my fire. People are strange. The end. Uh, I'm struggling. Riders in the storm. storm. Touch me. Break on through. Riders in the storm. Strange days. Right, but, is that six? Up there, yeah. It's about seven in there, I think. Dave Higgins. Oh, seven. Are you going to stand? <laughs> are you going to stand for this uh, this Morrison slander after yeah. such an advocacy on the last episode? Was I was I a great advocate of Jim Morrison? No, I think you were more. <laughs> were you less slanders? <laughs> if anything, um, if anything, Craig kind of came around at the end inexplicably. I think he just I, doesn't want to shed his nice guy image too much. I was know? very surprised at how. Uh, yeah, he. I thought he was just going to be going in fully two footed on the entirety of the tours, but he was far more forgiving than I thought he'd be. Yeah, 
he's a he's a he's a good reasonable Catholic boy. It's Greg Fitzpatrick, you know, doesn't want to upset anybody. But um, there is a small part of it after watching Val Kilmer in it that's made me really, really want to watch the documentary he has coming out. It is a documentary, isn't it? Just called Val. Yep. I'm kind of I'm intrigued as to what that is. It's been getting it very great. good reviews. Yeah, it's like I saw that. Yeah, it's it's coming out through A twenty four on Amazon, and basically, it's like if anyone hasn't seen the trailer. Val Kilmer apparently has been capturing footage throughout his entire career, um, you know, using old cameras, handheld cameras and stuff. And it's just about his life and times. And obviously he's had hard times in recent times. There was a memoir last year and I guess this film version there of it. But uh, it looks very, very compelling. We've talked about him on the show before and how he's had a very interesting career, particularly on the Doors episode, which I would encourage you to check out. Uh, Greg does go in two-footed, but he kind of walks it back by the end, make sure he doesn't get sent off. But it was a good episode, it was fun to do. And uh, <laughs> get those the heights, football puns in there. That's he, he went in two-footed, <laughs> but he made that. the he made the shape of the ball after he did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and then protested for five minutes as he uh, as the referee went into his pocketbook. But no, football's over. Summer's over. Summer's happening. It's actually a fucking heat wave today when we're recording this. I've had to close the windows to get as good audio as I can, and I'm already starting to melt, which I guess is appropriate for the film in the Heights, set during a heatwave. Uh, we'll get there momentarily, but first, it's what we've been watching. Norma Howard, seeing as you missed the last episode, can you take us away and take us through what you have seen of note in the last few weeks? Of note, well, I recently watched Shiva Baby. It's up on Mubi and I think actually on Amazon Prime as well. I feel like David Tapley does not like this film. He's shaking his head. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. I uh, I found the screenplay really interesting, really well written. It's well paced. It's definitely a very specific type of kind of insular thing. And there's moments where it does kind of stress you out a bit. You're you're left kind of being like, well, why is this happening? Someone could have just walked away and like it seems a little implausible at times. But for an afternoon watch, I really, really enjoyed it. Another little afternoon watch that I think I enjoyed is Aquaman. <laughs> along the line of films of note that I have watched. <laughs> I'd never seen it before. And I think I'd, I previously talked about how I'd watched the Justice League, the Snyder Cut. I haven't seen the other one. Um, and then I was like, I'll throw on Aquaman, see how it is. I mean, it's not the worst thing so, I've seen. If I may, I, um, I think it's currently the trash champion, isn't it? For Higgs and me, Higgs and I going to see films that we know aren't going to yeah, be great. I think, I think so. I, I, I mean, think it holds the title of trash we have champion. To, that we, we have to qualify that statement by saying that cinemas haven't been open for about a year and a half. But it definitely, yeah, we went to see it whenever. I feel it was late 2019 and no expectations at all. It is so daft. It's so over the top. But <laughs> it's, it's just daft. But it's it's also just really enjoyable and knowing. And there's lots of like winks here and there. The cast is outrageous. The, the level of quality in that cast for what they're doing, including Julie Andrews voicing like a gigantic kraken. Which <laughs> yeah. you kind of wouldn't even the have squid. noticed. Um, you have a squid playing drums. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I would, I'm really looking forward to a second one just because it's... That's kind of what I want out of uh, comic book movies. I don't want them to be serious. I don't really need them to be connected to any larger scheme. Just, yeah, drumming squids, mm. please. Jason Momoa has a kind of a charm to him as well, where even though he's swimming around the sea topless with leather pants on, you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's cool. He could pull that off, right? I feel like there's a few other actors I would accept that kind of costume design from and and have it be okay so yeah do you know what it was like 
It was good crack. I don't know what I expected from it either, really. Other than like, there was like little reference points that had been hit in Justice League. I don't think you need to see any of those films altogether to get any of the plot lines of any of the other films. Um, there is a character in it that I imagine they're lining up for Aquaman 2, who I think will be interesting. So, I mean, if you're looking for some bit of fun, I definitely recommend it. Um, Another film that I watched actually a couple of weeks ago at this stage was a documentary called Disclosure, not the film from <laughs> what's the other film? The sex film say? from 1993, <laughs> I think, or 1994 with <laughs> Michael Douglas and Demi Moore, which is not um, that film. Yeah, very raunchy, and then it gets very boring for two two more hours. So that was a yeah. yeah. I think Dave was like, Crichton what did you adaptation. Yeah, Dave was like, what have you been watching recently? And I was like, I watched Disclosure. It was really interesting. And Dave was like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, interesting, what you say. It's a documentary by Sam Fader about um, trans representation in TV and film. And it's just really, really fascinating. There's a lot of different uh, contributors um, and just kind of documents... Just that, just trans representation in film and TV, um, how it's changed over the years, how it's affected society, how we view the trans community. It's absolutely, it's really, really fascinating. There's a lot of things, even they go over certain like films and TV series from my childhood and certain like really strange things in that that I as a kid would have never picked up on but that have like affected people enormously throughout the years and I just thought it was really really fascinating and very educational by the end of it as well there's a lot of um amazing contributors who have interesting stories to tell and um it is also fascinating watching some filmmakers go from having quite a uh I don't know, a misunderstanding of the trans community to growing over the years and having a better understanding and holding people accountable for certain things like that. It was just really eye opening on certain levels and um, I guess enjoyable as well. Like I did, I did enjoy it as a documentary and hearing all those different people, people speak was really fascinating. I am also as a group, we all went to the cinema and we all went to see another round. <laughs> and then we had another lovely. round afterwards. It was very, very nice. Um, yeah, like I think, Dave, you've spoken about another round before, but uh, it was absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Like, five stars. I was still thinking about it afterwards, like enjoying every moment of it. Mads Mikkelsen is like peak Mads. It's brilliant script. It's shot really interestingly. Like, it's been a while that I've been in the cinema and, like, laughed out loud. Like, there was moments where I was just proper belly laughing. Um, but it's also quite, obviously, quite dark um, and distressing at certain points as well. It's just a really, really interesting watch. Um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, um, I think it's been, it was the third movie that I've seen in the cinema since cinemas reopened. But it was the first time I felt like I was back watching a movie, even though one of the movies before that was the movie we're going to talk about later, and one was uh, F9, which was terrible. Um, yeah, this was just like, it had me immediately. I loved every minute of it. Uh, like you said, 
I found it immensely funny. Um, and I think one of the things definitely missing from like the cinema going experience, like it's, it's one thing to see a spectacle movie and there is spectacle in this. Absolutely. Is like laughing with other people. I can't remember the last time I laughed with a stranger. Uh, it felt fantastic. Um, I think as well as being funny and quite dark, there is like some great pathos in it, uh, particularly around uh, the character that Mads Mikkelsen plays. There's like an early dinner scene for um, someone's 40th birthday and they're kind of, they all haven't hung out in a while. And it's kind of where they they have like the, the genesis of their harebrained uh, experiment. But yeah, Mads has a moment where he's just talking about family life and he kind of breaks down a bit and it's like, it's absolutely devastating. Um and yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a very propulsive movie. It moves at like a great clip. And yeah, since I've seen it, I've been recommending it um, perhaps a little passive aggressively to all my friends who are married with kids. Because I feel like, it, you know, it's, it, it would <laughs> probably speak <laughs> it probably speak to them on a level that, you know, it definitely spoke to me. Like, you know, as you get older, one of the general line, underlying themes is that, that these guys all kind of feel a little bit washed. You know, they, they've hit their 40s and like, you know, they don't really know where they're going. Like they have all the structures of family life, but like they don't feel like they're living anymore. Um, so yeah, I've been recommending to friends. Don't know if they'll I'll check say it the out. Ending probably just ignore sequence. me. <laughs> <laughs> the ending sequence was a delightful surprise in a way. I'll say uh, that for anyone who's going to see it. Yeah, I'll just say I like... like, like anything. I have previously spoken with film, but it, it, it wasn't that long since I'd seen it. And I was kind of like... You know, I was like, oh, is it, like, has it been too soon since I've seen this? I know I'm going to see it in the cinema, it'd be a different experience, but I think I enjoyed it more the second time. I, and I think a part of it was that kind of social thing, just being there with my friends and being there with strangers and everyone kind of clicking into it. I've seen some criticism of it. Some people have said, like, oh, it glorifies, you know, alcoholism and blah, 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 blah. I don't think it does at all. I think it manages to kind of nail the balance quite well. And I think it is beautiful. And the scene that kind of, the ending sequence is absolutely astonishing. And that's one of the things I especially want to see on the big screen, experience that and experience my friend's reaction to it as well. Um, but also, as Higgs notes, there is that early scene at the, din- at the dinner table and look you know as often as i have like as, as we all have sung the praises of mads mickelson like it is still an exceptional moment Th- just the quiet devastation of what is happening to him in that moment and like i love that scene and i love like his friend's reaction to it because you know it's just a really nice admission and it's these people who are close and they're trying to kind of help him through it and it just leads to there was lots of moments even watching the second time where i was like even though I knew where the story was going, like, I think it does wrong for you at times. I think you might expect, oh God, this is going to be really fucking tough kitchen sink stuff. And that's in there, but it's not dominant. And I think it manages to kind of capture that kind of all round experience quite, quite well. So yeah, if you haven't seen another round, you got to go check it out, whether it's in the cinema or not. It's, it's a wonderful, beautiful film. And I'm delighted that we all got to see it together. That was lovely. Uh, Higgs, seeing as you, where they're with us for another round. Uh, what else have you been watching? Um, I mean, aside from that, and uh, a movie that you're going to touch on later that I have also seen, um, I've been exclusively, I think I've talked a couple of times before, uh, my good friend Christian Petzold, the German director, a great staple on movie at the moment, if you have it. I think they pretty much have it, all of his movies. And yeah, I'd gone on about a few things he'd made before. Um, his newest film, Undine, um, was released on movie quite recently so that kind of got me going back into uh, his movies so yeah Undine is based on the Undine myth uh, 
it's kind of a sort of a fairy tale. Uh, if you've seen the Jim Sheridan movie, I believe it's Jim Sheridan, uh, Undine, kind of similar territory. Um, but the way he does things, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not quite as literal uh, as the myth itself. Um, it stars Paula Beer and Franz Rogowski, who were the leads in Transit, which is a really good film. Um, and they play both a industrial diver and someone who works for like the Department of Urban Planning and Housing, who gives like lectures on um, kind of infrastructure and build the building and rebuilding of the Berlin Palace. It really goes into Berlin architecture in like a really, really extended metaphor that I really enjoyed just because I like Berlin. Uh, you're, you're, it might vary for other people. Um, but yeah, they, they play two people who meet each other. They have like a very uh, strange meet cute where they kind of like bump into a kind of a, an aquarium in a restaurant that like crashes onto the ground and like floors them. They're kind of just like lying there uh, covered in water. They, yeah, get into a relationship together. There's something kind of uh, distant, something strange about Paula Bear's character and Franz Gracie kind of finds out a little bit more as time goes on. I don't want to give away too much of the plot. Um, it's really, really good. Uh, the two of them together are an amazing on-screen presence. Um, I think I've spoken about my love for Franz Rogowski before on the Victoria episode, but in this he's amazing. There's just something about him um, that he's like a, an amazing physical presence, even though he's like not a very big person, but um, he has that. And then this kind of like puppy dog eyes, like murmur in the way he delivers his uh, his dialogue. Yeah, just like a really, really compelling movie. Um, has a very solid ending. Has a really good um, and and kind of, well well placed needle drop i think like some of his other movies sometimes i'm just like whoa where did that come from but uh yeah this one was great um another one i watched was barbara which is i think it was the first the first film in his unofficial well he he, he titled this trilogy himself love in the times of totalitarian states which is an absolutely ridiculous mouthful um this is about a woman, Barbara, in the 80s, who is a nurse in a hospital in kind of on the on the Baltic Sea, somewhere like Rostock or Lübeck, who got sent there from Berlin. Um, she basically, she asked him to move to the West um, during the time of the Stasi. They, they kind of openly say, it's like, oh, if you want to move to the West, by all means, just apply. And then you'd apply um They'd find out that you were essentially, you know, a turncoat. Uh, they'd ostracize you, send you to somewhere like this. And then she basically gets kind of uh, constantly harassed and hounded by the Stasi while she's there. Uh, she's played by Nina Haas, who is Christian Petzold's kind of muse up until recently. Um, she's absolutely amazing. Uh, anyone who's seen Phoenix, she's just, um, yeah, she, she has a, a, an amazing way of just saying so much with it uh, by doing so little uh, and it's an incredibly insular performance um the plot itself is you kind of know where things are going to go there's a character that shows up in about halfway through and they're like a little plot device to kind of get you to your final shot that you kind of know is coming but there's some great support in it uh rainier buck is uh who i think popped up in better call Saul as one of the the germans in that He's really good in it. If anyone has seen uh, Dark, Mark uh, Voschke, who was like Noah, the creepy kind of priest guy, 
uh, is really good as a West German operative. Yeah, a fun, well, not fun, uh, you know, a very, very, <laughs> <laughs> was like, your definition fun, of fun. The Stasi, no. <laughs> um, yeah, very, very good film. And last one was Yella, which is, again, Nina Haas being absolutely remarkable. Um, it's a light adaptation of the Carnival of Souls, which is kind of something Petzold does a lot where, you know, I think I talked about Transit before, which kind of definitely, particularly in how its third act takes a lot from Casablanca, um, he'd taken a version of the Postman Always Rings twice for another movie. Uh, it's about a woman who's just divorced from a controlling husband, moves away to Hanover, but kind of her life follows her again. Don't want to give away too much of the plot, but uh, yeah, it's a, a real solid three out of five, uh, mostly for Nina Haas. Uh, I kind of love how unglamorous it looks. It's like kind of, I can't think of maybe a more unglamorous place. I might be offending some people by saying like, post-unification Germany, pre-World Cup 2006, when they kind of started to like regain national pride and like how things were. It's just like a very, you know, all the kind of, uh, you know, it's functional, particularly where she is. It's like, it's a really kind of bland part of uh, Germany in, in the Midlands. But um, yeah, again, it kind of a little obvious where things going. There is a possibly outrageous red herring in, in terms of some of the clothing choices that are in the movie, but uh yeah, I could basically watch Nina Haas do anything. So um, fully captivated by her, this one's fine. Um, I gotta say, right. So following your your, your kind of Christian Petzold mini season on Letterbox, like this is a director that you've been following. That you're like you're kind of going through the work. You speak very highly of it all, but it's always a three out of five on Letterbox. Now, I I do think a Dave Higgins three out of five, you know, is is a lot of other people's four out of five. So you know, fair enough. But I'm going <laughs> like Undine was a, Undine was a four. <laughs> yeah. If I can, okay, well, if I can, and and uh, Phoenix was a four. Uh, okay. Barbara Yella, Jericho, and I think Transit was maybe a three and a half. We might go okay. up to a four on a rewatch, which I'll probably do soon. You um you gave me a couple of jumping off points there. You mentioned Casablanca. Um, Casablanca pops up in a film I I watched there recently. I I, I got to go to an early media screening. Uh, the perks of being housemates with Richard Chambers uh, of Space Jam: A New Legacy. So we're going from Higgins' art house love and leanings to my just absolute chaos here. Space Jam Two, um, sequel to a very mediocre kids film from the late nineties that for some reason seems to have some kind of overblown reputation. I think. Uh, this is essentially a remake slash reboot. Um, LeBron James is in the Michael Jordan role, and I think he has more charisma, but doesn't get much to really do here to show off that charisma. He's mostly in straight man mode. The big shock for me was, you know, Space Jam comes out mid-90s. It's an 88-minute kids movie. Here's the sequel, reboot, whatever. Went in blind. It just assumed, you know, 85 minutes, maybe 90. It's 115 minutes, which I just don't understand how they could possibly do this. Um, but more to the point, and like, I'm seeing the reviews spill out for this now, and everyone's going in with big fucking hot knives, and they should be, I think. I, I came out of it being like, yeah, it had its moments, whatever, I wasn't that offended by it. Um, but I have kind of like soured on it pretty fast. Not that I didn't think I would necessarily, but I also think that like, Maybe it's because I'm kind of out of the game at the moment, you know, like not writing for Joe or whatever, but like, I don't really feel the need to give it such a savage kicking. I, like, I think everyone's kind of like, you know, like, like maybe if I was, if I had to go write a review about it, I probably would. The big thing about this movie that people are rightly calling out is that, um, it's essentially a two hour ad for Warner Brothers slash HBO Max streaming service. And it's like, 
all the properties of what they have. Like there are literary scenes in this in this film where Looney Tunes characters dive into classic scenes from films, including Casablanca, Mad Max Fury Road, The Matrix, Austin Powers for some reason, and it just feels like you can go home now and stream all these on your on, like like on HBO Max or whatever. And I genuinely expected an executive to come around halfway through the screening and like make us sign up for it or something because it was just like this is so fucking blatant. Um, it didn't like didn't drive me crazy i could see why it would it is depressing it's not a film it is content there was one gag i I enjoyed quite a bit but ultimately it's insanely long it's genuinely depressing and a total waste of time uh but you mentioned needle drops earlier on higgs right so here's a film that i know that we've both watched speaking of blockbusters that might sap your energy uh black widow is in screens right now marvel back on the big screen so i watched it the other night Finally, yeah, we've been counting the days. So Norma has asked us, like, before we started the show, she was like, is it worth watching? Is it good? And we were like, we'll talk about it on the show. So what I'll do is, right, Which so Norma hasn't seen the bad. film. <laughs> not necessarily, not necessarily. It's like, otherwise I mean, like, you'd just be like, yeah, it's grand. No, it's, but it's, it's worth talking about. And I mean, like, so Black Widow, of course, you know, is like the fucking, I don't know, 115th Marvel movie now at this stage or whatever. It's the Scarlett Johansson solo film that people wanted. All the way back in, like, 2010, I think, when the second Iron Man film came out, people were like, cool, give her her own film. And she's been in eight subsequent Marvel movies, has yet to have her own standalone, finally has it uh, after the character, spoiler alert, is dead post-Avengers Endgame. But this is set before that and was on the shelf for over a year with Marvel. Um, So I'm watching it, right? And you are as well. You watch it separately. Um... And there's a big opening scene, big opening scene to set the tone. And then it kicks into these very moody credits, these very moody opening credits to set the scene. And this plays. Right, so yeah, um, that is a cover of Smells of Teen Spirit by Nirvana by an artist called uh, Malia J, I think is her name. And I, I I looked her up briefly. She's done like covers like this for What a Wonderful World and presumably some others. So yeah, um, mournful Smells of Teen Spirit thing over these credits that set the tone. Um, I, I was jolted right out of my seat, so I was. And I mean, if you look at the YouTube comments of this, they're astonishing. There's lots of comments being like, not a fan of the original, but now it makes sense to me. Or there's people saying <laughs> stuff like, I think we all need to applaud Marvel for introducing us to this masterpiece. <laughs> it's like, whoa. The kids so, these um, days. <laughs> the kids these days. And it's funny because like, this comes off like a recent conversation I had with St. Sister on No Encore and I was giving out about this kind of thing, the mournful, sad cover version, because I just think it's so easy to do and it's, you know, it gets you. Um, at the, like, I can't decide if I hate this or if I'm actually kind of in awe of it because I'm just like, really? You did that? But as I was watching those credits and I didn't think it could get more head-scratching than this. So Ray Winstone is the villain in this movie, by the way, in 2021, playing a Cockney Russian. And there's a sequence as this is playing where it's showing you like kind of a timeline. And Ray Winstone is playing this evil Russian general who's been behind the scenes throughout, you know, the 80s and the 90s and whatever. 
and there's a Photoshop of him in a suit, de-aged a bit, standing next to Bill Clinton on the White House lawn, and this song is soaring, and I'm just like, what am I about to watch? Is this going to be kind of fucking surreal and weird? And then it kind of isn't, is it, Higgs? What did you think? No, the thing that struck me about it, and, and I think both the opening credits, even even the way the opening credits are structured, they feel really dated. This kind of really reminded me of like the early 2000s, like pre, I guess, MCU comic book movies, um, where, you know, like Daredevil would have an Evanescence on the soundtrack or, you know, Spider-Man would have your beloved Josie, Josie Scott and Chad Kroger. Um, so I was like, okay, it's a, it's, it's a throwback then, I guess. And it really, really is both in terms of, uh, when it's set and just, I don't know, it, it, it kind of, I was kind of like flabbergasted that in 2021, we still have people doing like really bad Russian accents, like great, like great, great actors, uh, Florence Pugh, uh, Rachel Weisz, two of the best in the game, uh, just doing these terrible accents. Um, yeah, it's. I thought it was like a totally fine movie. I, I kind of, I, I found my attention being lost uh, quite a bit. I think the opening scene is really good, um, much like I think Endgame borrowed liberally from something like The Leftovers. Uh, someone clearly saw the Americans and was like, guys, I've got an idea. But it is, it's a really good opening scene. Um David Harbour's great. And David Harbour, kind of across the board, is really, really good. Um, as is Florence Pugh, despite a uh, daft, daft accent. But I, when I was watching it, I was like, this, it's like, you mentioned Scarlett Johansson has been making these movies since, for like 11 years and has been waiting. And people have been like, why doesn't she get a movie? Like she, arguably, when these movies started, she's like the biggest movie star of all the Avengers, maybe Downey now is kind of elevated, but probably not. Like she's, you know, the one who gets Oscar nominated. She's in like lots of other stuff. And when she finally gets it and I watched it, I was like, I hope that you get the lawyer of Wesley Snipes because you need to sue them (laughs) for the fact that this is so nakedly, you know, a backdoor, uh, you know, pilot for Florence Pugh just to make movies in the MCU. Um, which was really disappointing because I think Scarlett Hansen, fantastic actress, um, and kind of deserves a lot better. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a really weird kind of throwback movie. It feels so, so dated already, even though it's three weeks old. Yeah, no, I fully agree with all that. For me, it's two out of five, but it's perfectly watchable. Harbour is great in it, although his accent is perhaps the most egregious at times. But he's just a very likable actor, and he's clearly relishing the chance to be in a film like this. Like, I watched an interview with him there recently where he's going through his roles, and he was just kind of like... Like, he's talked openly at the moment about how he was very disillusioned with acting. He didn't think he was going anywhere. He was always... I think he, he refers to himself as he was like, I was the guy with the gun chasing Denzel. I was like the fifth or sixth name on the call sheet. And like, I was just never really hired for the talents that I thought I might have. And then like, he's had a bit of a rejuvenation. Stranger Thing has kind of basically saved his career as far as he's concerned. So he's like having a ball on screen as this character that's like a bit goofy and has a bit of pathos. And he fucking nails it. Florence Pugh is excellent as well. Iffy accent aside. But yeah, no, it is. If this... if, if Space Jam is a two-hour sizzle reel for for Warner Brothers. This is literally like, and like the the passing of the baton. Florence Pugh is is going to be the new Black Widow. She's going to pop up in the Hawkeye series. Presumably, she'll make it into the movies. And listen, she's going to do it very well. She does this very well. She has charisma. She is a star. This is the moment where she becomes a mega star. 
and she's great and big fan of her. But yeah, it's weird. Scarlett Johansson is just kind of shunted off to the side, going through the same motions, and the, then the film goes through the same motions, and anytime it threatens to be interesting, you know there's a fucking CGI-laden nothing around the corner. Ray Winstone looks like a football manager in this movie. Uh, Olga Kurylenko's in it, but kind of barely not really. I mean, it it's 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 what I thought it would be. And then I, I I went to bed neither offended nor enthralled. It's fine, and much like it, like it is that cover. It is that song cover in movie form. At this point, you know exactly what you're getting. And yet again, they're hiring an, like an indie director. They hired an Australian director called Kate Shortland, who's previously made some like much more independent, lower budget stuff. And it's just like. They just keep hiring great actors, great directors, and just placing them in these action figure roles and giving them fucking nothing to really do apart from one or two little things. And I don't know what the knock-on effect is, especially for directors, if you kind of look at like what some of them have done since. I don't know if doing a Marvel movie is as lucrative or as good for your career as maybe it could be. Yeah, just kind of on that note, it is a little bit of a scary thing, and I think a lot of it is posturing on like the bigger companies because it's like, look at this cool, interesting person we got in and then completely uh, stripping them of actual creative choices. Like like exactly what you were saying there. I think it's a really weird trend that worries me a lot because it's like, well, what's the point in doing this? Even like, was it the TV show um, Pretty Little Eyes, Big Little Eyes? They got Andrea Arnold in and then basically took any sense of um, like just took any of the duties out of our hands and just were like, we're going to redo everything anyway. But your name will be on it sort of thing is quite scary. But I do have high hopes for the Eternals that that won't be the case with that. I think, yeah, I was just going to bring up the Eternals. That's kind of the interesting one to watch because... Um, someone like Kate Shortland has had, as you said, like being an indie darling while Chloe Zhao, you know, made The Eternals before Nomadland was released, but is now an Oscar winning director. Um, if she gives a box office success with The Eternals, which seems pretty plausible, um, I wonder then what happens. Like that, that should mean that Chloe Zhao can, should be able to walk into any studio and be like, I have an idea. It costs. Two hundred million dollars, um, and they should all be, you know, bending over backwards to be like trying to be the ones who get to do that. But if she makes the Eternals, and it's like, well, we've got another sequel property for you to look at, or something like that. That's really, really alarming. Um, I'll wrap up really quick in a second because I'm aware that we're kind of uh, rambling on here. But I will say uh, I rewatched the talented Mr. Ripley last night for the first time in a very <laughs> long time. And I mean, first of all, the wanderlust that Higgs uh, sometimes refers to about like watching a movie and wanting to be in these locations was palpable. I mean, has a film ever looked better than this? Has Italy ever looked better than this? But also... Has Matt Damon ever had a better performance? Has Jude Law ever had a better performance? Has Gwyneth Paltrow ever had a better performance? I mean, you could maybe extend it to, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Kate Blanchett are outstanding and they've had so much more to do elsewhere. But there, again, this is an embarrassment of riches of a film. Uh, it's, it's a brilliant film. It's very dark. It's funny. It's, it's, I think it's aged quite exceptionally well. Um, you know, it's got some contrivances and kind of like coincidence at the end that I was like, I've seen it before, but I, there were a couple of moments when I was like, mm, I was like, I'm kind of suspending my disbelief here for the sake of it. But like, it is, it's a pretty incredible film and it's yet more proof that 1999 was probably the best year of all time for mainstream cinema, certainly. Are they rebooting that? I feel like they are. 
probably I think there's a TV show in the works maybe with I Was think I so remember being annoyed Scott as well where <laughs> oh, I'm just really, like okay. oh for fuck because I was really. just like the film's fine the film is absolutely just, but they made one just, with John Malkovich in 2003 called Ripley's Game which also has Ray Winstone in it by the way so like there have been and like there's been Alan Delon played him before just like, no like, need there, there, there's no need there have been numerous iterations but yeah I think there is a TV show going with Andrew Scott which wouldn't have high hopes for myself. Uh, real quick, two Irish films then. Um, Caveat is a horror film, which I'd recommend. And Here Are the Young Men is an, an indie film that I wouldn't recommend. But we'll close on a film called Personal Shopper, which I hadn't seen up until now. It's out a few years. I think it was out in 2016. It's an uh, Olivier Assayas movie with Christian Stewart. And I remember it being out at the time and there was some kind of... It was heavily divisive. It's basically an indie film about a woman who... Loses her brother, uh, she's a medium, or at least believes she is, and is looking for signs that he's crossed over into the spirit world. There's, you know, it was kind of derided by some people as like, this is a film in which Christian Seward is texted by a ghost, or is she, or whatever. And I don't know, I, I just never really got around to it. But I watched it at the weekend there, and I was absolutely mesmerized by it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think she's amazing in it. It has one of my favorite endings I've seen in quite some time. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for a good cut to credits this one has an excellent one and even though in doing so it removes a lot of the film's mystery kind of in a way and is very on the nose i thought i earned it and i thought she was great and for an actor who is often derided i suppose probably because the twilight thing uh, she holds the screen magnificently here higgs i know that you've seen it haven't you norma as well maybe yeah i think it's pretty much just what you said uh it's a couple of years now since i saw it um yeah it's fantastic i don't think uh, kristen stewart gets the Credit she deserves. I think she's amazing. And uh, I cannot wait for Spencer later this year. Oh, yeah. I forgot I'd seen her in her in her Princess Diana get up. I actually haven't seen it, but I do remember when it came out in the lighthouse, people were raving about it and I had always intended to watch it. So I actually, I think I will now that you've reintroduced it. It's on um, movie, I believe. So anyone who oh. wants to go check it out. We are now a, like a podcast for a movie. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, I mean, it's that or it's, you know, you can get some good stuff on Volta, you can get some good stuff on all, yeah, whatever streaming true. service you want. You know, we're not, we're not beholden to any one thing, nor do any of them sponsor us. So, listen, on that note, um, we'll move on to our main event, which is a discussion about In the Heights. Here is the trailer for the musical that I believe is still in cinema screens right now, and it's a good summer flick, or is it? We'll talk about it. Here's the trailer. Little details that tell the world we are not invisible. Ignore anyone who doubts you. In the heights, That's In the Heights, uh, directed by John M. Chu, based off a musical conceived and constructed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, you hear a little bit there in the trailer of one Jimmy Smits, formerly of NYPD Blue fame. This is a 143-minute musical in which Jimmy Smith sings but does not get a solo number, and I'm still reeling from that approximately a week and a bit on from seeing this movie. Dave Higgins, tell us more about this film, shall, shall you? Please do. I love I love that you front ended the conversation. You're like immediately this is a Jimmy Smith's podcast. Uh fantastic work. Um yeah, so In the Heights is uh as you said, uh written by Lin Manuel Miranda and Chiara Alegria Juedes. Um it 
came before Hamilton, but it was also like itself, like a massive success. Uh, it started on Broadway in 2006, won a Tony in 2008. And kind of since then, it's uh, it's been one of these ones where it's like, you know, oh, we need to make this as a movie. But it's kind of, yeah, it just kind of got kicked around for a while. Um, and then I think the massive success and kind of the pop culture phenomenon that Hamilton became put a bit more impetus. Uh, the fact that you could kind of put Lin-Manuel Lin Manuel Miranda's name on something and then yeah suddenly it's a it's something that that people want it's a it's like a intellectual property that everyone kind of resonates with um it's kind of a very personal uh story for him and for um Chiara Allegria uh who it is where it's set in Washington Heights uh which is a kind of an area in the north of Manhattan Predominantly a Dominican population, but also people uh, with backgrounds from Puerto Rico, Cuba, Mexico. Um, and yeah, it's just about the inhabitants there and kind of their daily struggles, um, much like um, if people have seen Hamilton, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's style is like incredibly earnest. And this is a very earnest and, and, and bright movie that celebrates its neighborhood. Um, it follows Uznavi who runs a bodega, he is an orphan, His he kind of has dreams of moving back to the Dominican Republic, I think he moved when he was about seven or eight, and kind of his dad had a bar there on a beach, uh, he's in love with Vanessa, who is working at a salon, but wants to leave the Heights and move downtown, open a clothing store, but is kind of struggling with the liquidity to get that done. Then you also have... Um, Kevin Rosario, who you mentioned, the Jimmy Smith, he runs like a car a car company. Uh, one of his employees, Benny, um, played by Corey Hawkins, works there. And he is in love with um, Kevin's daughter, Nina, who is studying at Stanford, but she's dropped out, um, both because it's kind of like bankrupting her dad to send her there. And she's had to deal with uh, issues of racism there and... Yeah, so like they're kind of the, the, the main four leads. There's uh there's some other like characters in the neighborhood like Abuela Claudia, who's the kind of matriarch, um, and Sonny, who is Usnabi's cousin, works with him, um, is a undocumented uh immigrant. And yeah, it's it's kind of just a big uh bold and uh, celebratory piece of the neighborhood. So uh, before we get to Norma, because I know that you've used seen Hamilton and stuff, so maybe you can tell us a bit more about Lin-Manuel Miranda for people like myself who have not seen it. Um, I just want to kind of set the tone for this movie more than Higgs has in terms of like adding to what he said. Like, So to me, like I think he said it perfectly. I would describe this, and maybe I'm wrong, but like this to me is like Spike Lee's do the right thing, except, you know happy for the most part you know it's uh it has that kind of it feels like a tone poem to me it feels like you know uh very kind of centralized location and the the characters the populated it is extremely visual um like bright colors everywhere constantly moving one big kind of short story poem novel thing clashing together so um the opening of this film is like a big bravura eight minute sequence which includes the title track of the title the title of the film as the title track of the soundtrack um, i'm gonna play you a snippet of that now uh, set in the bodega that higgs mentioned so this is uznavi played by anthony ramos who was in a star is born this is him taking us through his shop alongside his cousin sonny just another dime a dozen mom and pop stop and shop And oh my god, it's gotten too darn hot Like my man Cole Porter said People come through for a few cold waters And a lottery ticket Just a part of the routine Every 
a dream, they gossip as I sip my coffee and smirk. The first stop is people hop to work. What's it? I'm like, one dollar, two dollars, one fifty, one sixty-nine. I got it. You want a box of condoms? What kind? That's two quarters, two quarter waters. The New York Times, you need a bag for that. The tax is added. Once you get some practice at it, you do rapid mathematics, automatically selling maxi pads, fuzzy dice for taxi cabs. Practically everybody stressed. Yes, but they press through the mess, bounce checks, and wonder what's next. In the heights, I find my coffee and I go. I find my coffee and set my sights on only what I need to know. I need to know. In the heights, money is tight, but even so. So, um, it's not quite a Vita in that it's not a constant musical, but. The music is constant, and that is the tone. That is how what we're often kind of dealing with. We're dealing with kind of like people breaking into song, breaking into quite long songs quite often, especially the opening one, which goes on for, like I say, about eight minutes or so. Um, and that is pretty much what you get for two and a half hours. Norma, what did you think of this in terms of that? Like, did, were, were you charmed by the approach and the execution? And going into this as well, what were your expectations? Um, so I had, just for a little background i am very into musicals um so i enjoy a good song and a dance i had listened to hamilton as lin-manuel miranda's first piece of work i hadn't actually heard in the heights before i was aware that he'd written a previous musical but i think it was like hamilton that really catapulted him to extreme kind of global fame it started off with like obama bringing him out one time and he was like, I'm working on this sort of a mixtape musical about the founding fathers of America. This is this is the thing. And um, I loved Hamilton. Like it's uh, it's a really, really it's an interesting story. He obviously like Higgs was saying, it's really, really earnest. Like he feels really, really strongly about about these characters and about telling that story. And there's obviously a very specific style like he incorporates rap, hip hop kind of flows into it so it's not just I guess like the continuous singing of a song but it is kind of heavily reliant on beats and rap to get that across that's kind of what Hamilton is built on and I really really enjoyed that makeup of a musical and how to tell a story through that and I think the problem that I had then with going back and seeing In the Heights um, I hadn't listened to the music previously going in to see the movie because I was like, I'm just going to kind of try not to. Because when I first listened to Hamilton, I listened to all the music without seeing any of the stage show. And I really, really loved it, even just as a soundtrack. So I was like, I'm not going to listen to any of the music this time. I'm just going to go in blind. And um, I think it's interesting to to listen to and to see because you can kind of see the inner workings of where Lin-Manuel Miranda was getting to to be able to write Hamilton like you can see that sort of the footwork that got him to the point of being able to write that but it is certain I felt it's certainly not as focused as maybe as interesting and the bangers are certainly not there as much as Hamilton is like Hamilton is like catchy tune after catchy tune you will not get that stuff out of your head um, and I felt like within the heights, I was like maybe a little bit let down by it. It's very, very hard if you have like, um, 
I think it's his second musical. I could be very, very wrong on that. Hamilton being his second musical, like major musical. It's very hard if you have a second piece of work that's huge and then people start to go into your back catalogue and it's just not as strong because I feel like it kind of makes people go, oh, well, this is even though like when In the Heights came out, it was a huge success on stage. Um, And I can see why due to the success in general of Lin-Manuel Miranda, why they would seek to put it onto film. I don't think it necessarily actually pops on film. I think if I saw it live, I'd be much more invested. I'd find the characters a little bit more interesting. I think I could get a bit more... um, I could just feel a bit more for those characters and for the songs if it was on stage. I feel with film, it's all very shiny, veneer, pop. Everyone's looking absolutely beautiful. Um, it Like, it's very hot. It looks hot. It's got bright colours. Um, all these absolutely stunning people running around, whether it's at the pool or it's on the street. The choreography is incredible. But... Beyond that, I wasn't actually massively entertained. And I also had that fear of some musicals are musicals straight through. Everything is sung. So for the first part of In the Heights, they were doing a lot of singing. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no, is this going to be are they are they singing all of this? So when it broke to dialogue, I was like, oh, that's fine. Because <laughs> um, there's also there's quite a bit of like face singing. There's a lot of like people would be standing so close to each other, facing each other, and they are belting in each other's faces. And I find that immensely uncomfortable to look at on screen. Again, I feel like that reads differently on stage, which is kind of the issue with adaptation of musicals from stage to screen. I don't know that it always works in the way that people hope it will. I think this was originally optioned as a film or the rights were bought back in 2008 or something I might have read. So it's been a long time coming. Um, Before we throw to Higgs, you mentioned characters. I want to take us back into the bodega for a second. I want to introduce the character of Benny, as played by Corey Hawkins, who you'll previously have seen playing Dr. Dre in Straight Outta Compton. You might have seen him in Black Klansman. Uh, really compelling actor. I think he's got great charisma, as do a lot of the actors in this film. I think everyone is pretty much perfectly cast. I think so, but we can get into that later. But here's uh, Benny's big introduction, mid-song. And uh, yeah, see what you think of this. You ain't got no skills. Benny! Don't let me get a milky oh. way. Yep. And let me also get a daily news And the post And the most important mile What's the second coffee, one cream, five, five sugars. sugars I'm the number one earner What? The fastest learner What? Boss, he can't keep me on the damn back burner Yes, he can I'm making moves, I'm making deals But guess what? What? Still ain't got no skills Party hard Yo, Vanessa, show up, yeah Shut up Hey, little homie, don't get so upset Man Tell Vanessa how you feel so to kind of feed on from something that Norma was saying there, um, it's a weird criticism to have, but I do have it. I wonder if we're all kind of sharing it in that, like, everyone in this film is, like, beautiful and cool. And, like, there's not really, like, a villain. You know, I, I kept waiting for there to be an obvious, clear-cut villain. There are conflicts, and they're kind of well, I guess, fleshed out. But, it like, you're you're immediately dropped into, like, this is the film. This is the dimension. This is the tone. And this is it for two hours and 23 minutes. And that can be a bit of a hindrance higgs overall what was your take on it and you know we, we sat together in the cinema and we you know uh, what, what was it two in the can afternoon we, or something 12 in the afternoon can, can we talk about how how you were feeling when you went to see the movie because oh, you I were think very happy about this yeah i was very happy about this okay I, 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 I can reveal can i that you would yeah sure of course well D- david was a little hungover a little um, hungover 
think you, I think you've been watching the sport the night before. Uh, had a few drinks, so I was kind of like very curious because I'm still I'm still unsure. Sometimes you, you like when I pick a musical, I'm like, oh, I think they might hate this, uh, and that's sometimes why I pick them just to, to to test you, I guess. And so yeah, we sat down, and as you mentioned, like the the opening is big, it's long, and as Norma was saying, like you kind of get the impression that maybe this thing is going to be sang all the way through for all 150 minutes of it so i was kind of just like looking at you checking on your your mental state and see where you were going um but in terms of what you were saying about uh, no conflict um and there being no villain i mean i suppose there's like um there's one kind of character who kind of is only a small one where it's like the face of gentrification where a a a dry cleaner is a very high end dry cleaner is like moves in and takes over half of Kevin's, uh, uh, you know, car dispatch company. I, 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 I get that and I acknowledge that, but I also kind of feel like that was never the intention. I don't know if the movie would be any better if it was just like, you know, you had like the mustache swirling face of capitalism, just like being like, haha, I'm, I'm here to ruin your neighborhood in many ways. Like the, the neighborhood is already kind of gentrified and people are just kind of dealing with it. Um, one of the things that uh, Manuel Miranda kind of wanted to do was he was just like, representation was a big thing for him. And he said that when he used to watch musicals, like something like West Side Story, where it's like, you know, if you have a, a Latinx character, like they're coming with a switchblade. He didn't want that. You made reference to do the right thing, which is certainly in terms of like, how hot it is and you know fire hydrants been smashed open to keep everyone cool um you know visually there's a lot of that there but again he didn't want to do that because that's something that he has seen and that's all he's seen in terms of um representation of who he is and of his neighborhood growing up both in movies and in stage musicals so I I kind of think that it was the right choice and I, I think it's admirable. Um, I know that you talked about particularly the character Nina where I think early on before this kind of the second round of it, of it coming around, would they would have got notes on why she dropped out of college and it's like, oh, well, you know, she she got pregnant or, you know, she had abusive boyfriend. And he's just like, like, this has been done before. Uh, I feel like we've seen this before. I'm trying to do something different here. And... Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I could have done with it being like a little bit shorter, but like, hey, that's a musical. Musicals are two and a half hours. You're kind of, that's the standard for anything that's on Broadway. Um, and you kind of just have to accept that. Um, it, it is relentless in a way that sometimes I was like, Jesus, I need a moment to breathe. Can somebody, can we not have a song for like five minutes? Can we take, can we take five and have like a nice little dialogue scene? But Generally, um, I really enjoyed it. You mentioned it being incredibly cast. And yeah, the one thing that kind of stood out to me in this is like, Anthony Ramos, we got ourselves an absolute bona fide star. I think when we talked about Dirty Dancing before, I was kind of like, there's no one really like Swayze in terms of that, like he can do absolutely everything. You could put him in an action movie. You could put him in a drama. He can sing, he can dance. We don't really have that with anyone. I think that at the time I was like, maybe Channing Tatum can dance. I don't know if he can sing. And Anthony Ramos, I was just like, Jesus Christ, like this guy is phenomenal. Yeah, I found the one thing with him, though, two things. There's a weird goof in the film where he plays a character called Usnavi, 
which we find out is he was named and it's like the U.S. Navy because as his parents traveled into America, they saw a boat and said U.S. Navy. And then his father was like, we'll call him Usnavi um, when he was eight years old, which means did he have a name? In those prior <laughs> eight years, <laughs> was he just un? Because he's like, that's how they named me, and I was like, did they just call you child for seven years? What was your name? Um, I also, f- I, I didn't find a lot of like chemistry between Usnavi and Vanessa. They have a whole big build up for the film, and this also leads to the twist in the film. Can we call it a twist? The reveal. Did you, for one second, uh, see Believe. it ending any other way? Yeah. <laughs> um, can you can can you explain? Uh, I mean, what it's a musical. Yeah, like it's it's a musical. So I take everything with a pinch of salt. They are mega cheesy. They like a lot of musicals. In order to get like tell story, they do need mechanisms and storytelling devices. Whether they're narrators, whether they're just like a certain way of getting a lot of storyline across and then being able to sing all the songs that they need to sing as well. Um, So yeah, the film is sort of framed with Usnavi um, later on in life. He's like, it's all taught as um, explained as sort of a flashback thing. So he has one child and she's there with a couple of kids. They're on a beach and he's explaining the story of him growing up and owning the bodega um, in Washington Heights and sort of so that they don't forget the history. It's all about how we need to remember the history and reinforcing um, who they are and where they come from and this this sense of home and what is home and what does it mean and where does one actually make a home? Um, so we are led to believe for the majority of the film that he is back on in the Dominican Republic. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. and bar. telling this at at a at a bar um, that his father owned on a beach, telling the story to these kids until it is revealed. In fact, he did not leave the states, and he is in fact in a replica of the bar in the bodega, talking to his child. And him and Vanessa got married, which also they do a little bit of work to age up um, Usnavi. Like when Vanessa reappears as a mother to like a five year old, a six year old, she looks exactly the same. They just don't have her in fishnets anymore. I was like, this is scandalous. There's no way after having a child and five years later, she just looks the exact same. Drop the skincare regime, Vanessa. Like, just she's just no longer wearing hot pants. It's like, what? That actress also looks a lot like like she actually like I thought she was like twenty. She's actually thirty one in real life. No way, way. I'm shocked. Very very young. Yeah, I didn't find that they had a lot of chemistry. I don't know what it was that it just didn't. And even when they have that really fiery sort of like they go to a a club to do kind of salsa night, which is like, again, I think probably a big tradition in that culture of a way to meet people and how to socialize and stuff like that. And like it's getting really, really hot. And it's like T minus two days, T minus one day to the blackout and stuff like that. I just didn't think it just didn't pop for me. And then I was like, why is he staying in the US it seems like he really wanted to go and like then she's like oh wait I've always loved you and I just didn't get the impression Could that, I, like they did <laughs> I don't know it, yeah I, I I do agree with you um it seems that the the primary uh, romance in this is between uh Nina and Benny and which Benny, yeah. I guess we can kind of touch on a little bit later 
but is it, is is it because I don't know I I don't really like the character of Vanessa. Uh, Vanessa seems to be out for one person. Vanessa, um, you know we're we're gonna hear a clip of one of the big set pieces uh, later on. Ninety six thousand, one of the uh, big songs, great song, and kind of the the whole point of it is um, there is a lottery ticket. Um, someone has won ninety six thousand in, and they bought the ticket from Navi's Bodega. So everyone's like, who is it? Who, who's won it? And then, you know, as they're singing, everyone's kind of using this opportunity to talk about what they would do if they won 96,000. So maybe as a jump in point, we can hear what Sonny would do if he won 96,000. And I could give up with like Claudia, the rest of it. Just fly me down to Puerto Plata. I make the best of it. You really love this business? No. What's up? Merry Christmas. You're not a youngest tycoon in Washington. is it? <laughs> Yo, in 96,000, I'd finally fix housing Give the body, yo, computers and wireless web browsers Your kids are living without a good education Change the station, teach them about gentrification The rent is escalating, the rich are penetrating They are corporations when we should be demonstrating What about immigration? Politicians be hating Racism in this nation's gone from latent to blatant I cash my ticket and ticket, invest in protest Never lose my focus to the city, take notice And you know this, man so yeah, that is a 16-year-old Sonny sounding like a young Bernie Sanders. Uh, at the end, when he said, I never sleep, I was like, is he going to drop the Nas line? <laughs> but unfortunately, he didn't. So, you know, he's talking about essentially, uh, you know, fixing the neighborhood with this 96,000. While, you know, when Vanessa's talking about it, she's just like, if I won 96,000, you losers would never see me again. I am (laughs) out of this kip. And it's just like, oh, okay. She doesn't seem to have the same sense of community that everyone else has. Like, she doesn't have, um, you know, she works in the salon, but she kind of seems like it's it's one thing to be, you know, she's unhappy to be working in the salon because it's not what she wants to do. But like... One of the great things about this movie is that like everyone takes a pride in what they do and that everyone is a part of the community while she just kind of is just like, no, nah, I want to be out of here. And I'm kind of like, why does, does Navi like this woman? It came across to me more like a physical attraction. Now it sounds like that Simpsons bit. Talk to the woman and you'll realize you <laughs> have nothing in common. But they get married and have kids. She's the reason he stays in the States. It's not, it's not enough. It's not electric, though, is it? I mean, I agree that like Nina and Benny have more of a kind of a natural chemistry going on. I kind of buy that a bit more. Um, Anthony Ramos, by the way, on the subject. So he's in The Star is Born. He was Lady Gaga's mate, I believe. I think they worked together in the waitressing job or the, the restaurant, whatever they were working on. So he's her mate. And he's also in um, a really bad Liam Neeson film called Honest Thief, in which he plays one of two corrupt cops, the other one being Jai Courtney. Anthony Ramos plays the more kind of sympathetic of the two, um, but it's not really a scene stealer. But he he has something for sure. And he I think he does anchor this film very, very well. I got kind of a younger, uh, more likable kind of John Leguizamo energy off him throughout this movie. Kind of reminded me of like his performance in Romeo and Juliet. Um, but yeah, he's, I wonder if he's destined for big things because as far as I'm aware, and like, I know we're in a weird time right now where with the box office, you know, you gotta, you gotta factor in the pandemic, but this is being described as a flop. I think it's only made $39 million worldwide so far on a $55 million budget. I just assumed going in with not a lot of backstory on this, that it was going to be massive. And it does feel like the kind of film 
that is perfect to propel people back into cinemas in the summer after such a long wait. And it does feel like it will have an audience that will absolutely adore it. But I guess if you're on the fence or you're just like, two and a half hour musical, mate, not really for me. I can see why it wouldn't work. But I I, I wonder what the future holds for the principals. Because even like the actress who plays Vanessa, this is like her first big leading role. Um, the actress who plays Nina, it's her first role in a film full stop, I think. So I'll be very curious to see what happens coming out of this. Norma, what do you think the future holds for this movie? And in terms of the present, like, would you recommend this blind to somebody, do you think? Um, just a quick note on Anthony Ramos. I was going to say, if there's anyone who... Lin-Manuel Miranda is also in the film, so he plays the... Um... Paragua guy. Paragua guy. Paragua guy. Um, which I feel like is definitely like uh, if you saw the stage show, I feel like that would be like a smaller role. I think they emphasize it more because it's him playing it in the film. I think he originally probably played Usnavi. And I do think a lot of um, the flow that Anthony Ramos has is based off Lin-Manuel Miranda, like he is singing in a very, very similar tone. And I think that that's a very specific choice that they've made to emulate his kind of flow that he has, um, like emulate Lin-Manuel Miranda's flow, which I found a little bit off-putting because like from listening to Hamilton a lot, I'm very used to like listening to that flow in a different context. And then hearing it here, it just... It all is kind of like, it seems very orchestrated around Lin-Manuel Miranda is the big thing. Like, I feel like the cast, I don't know how well the cast are actually going to do out of this because I don't know, like, they work very well as an ensemble um, and they're all very, very good in it. But I just, I don't see it, the perform, like, the roles that they're in projecting them massively I think it's more of a projection for Lin-Manuel Miranda to solidify him in this sort of like stage slash film musical thing because he's also I think bringing out Encanto which is um, an original animation that he's also done the music for and I think it's like, again, it just feels like another kind of notch for Lin-Manuel Miranda as opposed to like, we're giving the floor to this young cast and like, we really want them to be the centre point of it, which is also why it kind of bugs me that he's in it. Because I think, again, it's like pulling a little bit of, it's a little bit distracting for me. He was always going to be in it though, wasn't he? He's like, I, know, well, I can't have I know. the lead role. I got to have some kind of I can't of have weird, the lead role. So know. I'm going to make a big deal about a, about this. Also, I didn't realize there's an end credit scene. I had left. Well, it's a long movie. I mean, like, you know, I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. But I will say like, like his character two people movie, Also, two people left before the end of the film when I went to see it in the lighthouse. It was screen two, which means they had a long walk down <laughs> the steps. They left when there was about, I'd say, 25 minutes left when he's in uh, Claudia's house after she, she passes away. I've given a lot of spoilers, so it's fine. It's fine. Um, it was just too long. It was just too long. It is too long. long. And I long. and I can is. see why that would affect the box office as well. I know musicals are long, but it was too long. I will say that, like, with regards to um, Lin-Manuel Miranda there, it's like he pops up as if he's almost going to be this kind of Shakespearean character who just keeps popping up throughout the movie with, like, important things to say or do or some kind of core, Greek chorus thing. 
But it does it once or twice. It doesn't quite coalesce. Um, on the subject, I, I, when I was talking there and I was speculating about the future for some of these actors, so Melissa Barrera, who plays Vanessa, is lined up to play Carmen in an adaptation of Carmen opposite Paul, oh, Mescal. Paul Mescal. Oh, yeah. So that's Sorry, happening. She's also going to be in the before. next... Uh, she's going to be in the next Scream movie as well. I'm going to throw to Higgs in a second, but before I do, just to give you some kind of flavor of uh, like some more music in this movie, here is a trip to Vanessa's Salon, uh, which is a very kind of, I guess, raunchy number, supposedly. It's not that raunchy, but there was a child in the row that we were in, Higgs, and I was like, I think some of these jokes are maybe... Like, like the, the father that's with her might be like, oh, shit, you know? This is a 12A movie. So here's little taster of Vanessa's day job. So, I will say, uh, Vanessa not doing much for her good PR for herself there by referring to another woman as a skank, uh, which was which jumped out to me. I was like, really? This is the baby face of the movie? Higgs, you had your hand up before that. What is on your mind, sir? Um, well, I, I, I was just when, when Norma was talking about Anthony Ramos, you know, in general, people not maybe going on to bigger and better things. Uh, it was now he's gone ahead and booked himself the lead in the next Transformers movie, uh, Rise of the Beasts. So oh, God. <laughs> all the power to all him. Right. Um, I take it all back. They're all stars. <laughs> They're all very this. good. They're all very good. <laughs> yeah, back to this song. Uh, I find this song pretty grating. Um, yeah, it's 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 not a great one, even though I, li- I like the characters in it. Uh, Daphne Rubin Vega uh, who plays Daniela, who's like the head of the salon with her partner, Carla, who's played by Brooklyn Nine-Nine's Stephanie Beatrice and Dasha Polanco from Orange is the New Black. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a weird one. I, I kind of, I know what they're trying to do with the song in terms of just like getting Vanessa jealous and then you bring in Nina and start talking about her and Benny. Um, there's lots of things. Obviously, this musical was written in 2006, so it's like 15 years from stage to screen. And there's lots of things that are omitted from this movie. Um, you know, one of the main things actually is within Nina and uh, Benny's relationship is that, like, in the in the musical, Kevin is actually kind of a bit racist and doesn't want Nina to be with Benny because he's black and he's not uh, Latinx. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing that they dropped it, but, like, they didn't see fit to drop the a black guy has a really large penis joke. They go back and double down on it. I was like, really? Like, how did this, how's someone just like, are we still doing this? This is like 15 years on. Um, So yeah, on top of it being like a pretty kind of annoying song, this is one of the low points, even though like how things are staged in the salon, I think it's like staged very well. It's it's directed well. The choreography is good. But yeah, I just, I find this a tough song to go back to. Yeah, it, it it did kind of stick out like a sore thumb at the time. Um, I want to come to poor Benny's aid now. And so I want to and give you a better song in the process. So uh, let's listen to Benny at work and, and Corey Hawkins, like who is just a charisma machine. Like he's having the time of his life here. Have a listen. Check one, two, three. This is Benny on the dispatch. Yo, attention, yo, 
attention It's Benny and I'd like to mention I'm on the microphone this morning Honk your horn if you want it <laughs> Okay, we got traffic on the west side Get off the 79 and take the left side A riverside ride, you might slide Weston's your best friend if you catch the lights And don't take the deed in Cuban Poppy is in town this weekend Sorry, the man is stay rooted what a hero! What a, what what a handsome, cool man! I should say as well that like like kind of carrying on from what you were saying, Higgs. There has been some criticism of this film for its lack of representation of Afro Latin Americans, despite where it's set. So like not necessarily perfect overall. Um, one thing though, in, in terms of the music, right? Uh, something that struck me. So we saw this film like what like a week and a bit ago. Um, and as enjoyable as some of these tunes were, and there were plenty of enjoyable songs throughout the movie. I haven't felt compelled to whack on the soundtrack. I think Norma was kind of saying at the start of this episode, or the start of this review, rather, that there's not really that many bangers, so to speak. I mean, it is. It's relentless was a word that was used as well, and it is. And visually, I think I think you need the visuals for an awful lot of this to work. I don't think it does work so well in isolation, audio-wise. And I mean. I guess I'm just a bit confused by that. So, Norma, like, you, you, you love musicals, and I think we all do. Uh, Higgs seems to think that I'm some anti-musical guy. I'm not necessarily. But if it's good, it's good. And this is good. It's enjoyable. I mean, this is, like, as three out of five as the three out of five gets. I really appreciate the choreography and the, the budget and the, the visuals. But it's very surface, I thought. I mean, I would recommend it. I definitely would. But... I wouldn't recommend sticking on the soundtrack. Do you think that the visuals are as important as the music, or do you think that the songs aren't there? Like, what's your kind of overall takeaway? Uh, yeah, like I, I, in so much that I would absolutely any day of the week throw on the Hamilton soundtrack, easily going into town and listen to all those songs in isolation. I wouldn't with this one, and simply just yeah, I just. I think a lot of the songs are contextual. A lot of the songs have a lot of um, story-based things that aren't that interesting to listen to on their own. Like that Salon song is very much connected to a visual of them, the choreography around the Salon. Even like there's a bit where there's like a, a tap shoe sound and it's done with the nails in the salon, which is really, really clever. But again, that's such a specific visual cue, even with 96,000, which I think is like one of the better songs in it. And like one of the sequences that I really, really enjoyed because it like gives everyone their little moment to say their little thing. And it's so, again, intrinsically linked with the sounds. Like a thing with this musical is that a lot of the um, the soundtrack a lot of the musical elements, like instrument elements, are used as foley for the film. So like when they're in the pool, a lot of the claps that are in the song are made to sound like the water being slapped in the pool. Like there's so many kind of um, little sound cues that are built into the actual visual of the film that it's very hard to like extricate that from. So I think that's also why it's kind of tricky and probably better to listen to the music and experience it with the full visual. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't deter someone from going to see it if they were like, "I'm going to go see In the Heights." It is, it is enjoyable. Like, if you wanted to go f- with a couple of mates to have a few drinks and like watch something big and bold and bright, and like it is, 
uplifting at the end. There's a lot of strange things again. And like you were saying earlier about the villain, like it it doesn't necessarily always feel like there's an element of like danger in it or anything particularly bad could happen, even though the situation that they're in is quite difficult. So it's basically just kind of like the scary thing is society within itself. And um, at the end of it, I think the most kind of interesting thing is Nina's storyline about how she's going to go back to Stanford and she's going to study law and um, work to get uh, to help Sonny in his situation and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm just I just didn't warm to it as much as I had hoped. So we live in a society, is what you're saying, I think. Possibly. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I, 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 I find mean, it, it, is, it does have that kind of vibe, though, where it's like, yeah. there isn't specifically a villain. It's just like, oh, this is just the way we live our lives. And this is all we can do to maintain our history and our sense of home. Um, and, you know, in, in a lot of the film, a lot of the conflict is derived from some people are trying very hard to better themselves. And they see that as getting away from their society is bettering themselves, which is a problematic thing within itself. Um, it does present a lot of big issues. I don't think it works immensely hard to offer solutions to those issues. Um, but... I can see how it is a really nice ode to Lin-Manuel Miranda's childhood and the way he was brought up and him wanting to be able to express that to other people. So that's admirable within itself. Yeah, I found it winning and charming while not being terribly depthful, and that was okay for me. I'm also, uh, I, I should know at this point of the recording that uh, I am concerned that my laptop is on fire right now as it bakes in the hot sun. And you might be able to hear the fan, listener. I do apologize. It is working overtime. So uh, w- w- we, we might move to wrap up. Dave Higgins, uh, let me ask you. If you've any, yeah, so if you have any grand statements to make about this movie, Higgs, now's the time <laughs> as my laptop <laughs> screams in the background. <laughs> Um, yeah, just just what Norma was saying, kind of like um, of not really offering any solutions. I mean, I think it's it, it's possibly a bit much to ask a musical to offer solutions to, like you know, the plight of undocumented migrants and systemic racism in America. Like you know, it, it's a musical, uh, but it's it's highlighting it, which I think is important in a big piece of pop culture and you know, putting a spotlight on it for some people may not have been aware of that and may not have been aware of something like the Dream Act and it kind of switches on that and, you know, they go to a protest in it. Um, so, like, I, th- I think that they all kind of add to it and I don't think it needs a villain. Like, the, the, everyone in it is in a struggle as is. They don't, uh, Like, uh, as I was saying earlier, they don't need an actual personification of their struggle being this is the bad person. Um, it's just everyday life is bloody hard, um, which I think is a perfectly relevant thing to have. Um, yeah. In terms of, uh, we haven't really kind of touched on how we think, like John M. Chu um, had previously made Crazy Rich Asians, which is a massive hit. Um, and he made two of the Step Up movies. I don't know if he made the first one. He certainly made Step Up 2 and possibly the sequel. Um I thought he was a mixed bag as a director. Whoa, 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 whoa. Please don't leave out the man's magnum opus like that, Higgs. G.I. Oh, Joe sorry, Retaliation. G.I. Joe Which? Retaliation, sorry. <laughs> I thought I was like, step up five? Um, G.I. Joe Retaliation, man. Yeah, I I think he's, yeah, and I guess like an interesting 
uh, person to pick as a director because he, even though there was obviously like lots of choreography in the Step Up movies, they're not exactly musicals. Um, and within the Step Up movies, they kind of have their sensibility that is certainly informed by how music videos are edited. And I think where sometimes his direction falls down is that there's too much of that going on. Like I, I want, um, I wanted to kind of calm down. This is a long movie. You don't need to cut every three seconds. Um, kind of let some of these scenes breathe. Um, particularly something like the um, 96,000 scene, which takes place at a, a massive public pool. It's like an incredible spectacle. Um, i got to imagine there's about like 100, 150 dancers, some in water, some not. Um, again, the choreography is amazing, but he's kind of chopping and changing as he goes through it. And it's just like, I kind of just like let this scene breathe a bit um yeah i kind of feel like he overdoes it at time while he does also have some like really nice flourishes um i think particularly in the start for in the heights where there's like a moment where Osnavi's like looking out from the bodega uh onto the street and we get the reflection of everyone dancing in the street like that's like a lovely um a lovely composition but yeah i kind of feel like he he got this budget and kind of overdoes it there's some there's some bad CGI as well. Maybe we could touch on. Um, what bad CGI in particular? Are you the dancing, to the dancing on on the building. Yeah, bad, when, bad, bad, bad. When, when, wait, so ben, it's that scene Benny, Benny and Nina, Nina when they have sort of a surrealist. There's there's elements of it that are kind of surreal because again, when you've got a large scale musical, it sort of gives you a bit of a free pass if you're like, ooh, dreamy sequences. So things don't have to be like spot on. But there's a bit where Benny and Nina have a a moment and then they go into a dance section and they step out on her building and then the building turns sideways and they're dancing. The CGI of the bridge in the background, shocking. <laughs> I was no? more, more problem with the CGI of them. <laughs> <laughs> All of it is bad. <laughs> Everything around them is bad. And I was surprised because it just seems like like there's a lot of money in this. Like there's parts of it that look expensive and like they've put a lot of effort and a lot of work into that choreography is incredible to have it be let down by these weird little moments just was a was disappointing. Um, it's funny because like uh, Higgs briefly mentioned like the amazing song Hero by Chad Kroger and Jesse Scott from the film Spider-Man 2002 uh, that sequence when they're on that you know building balcony thing and then like it goes sideways and turns into like an Escher painting that looks straight out of a Spider-Man movie from 2002 just that kind of level of visual um, yeah I mean like I overall I mean like I, 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 I think it's a I think it's a charming fun experience I, I was rooting for most of the characters I think it was Navi's a cool guy I agree that Vanessa's maybe a bit superficial but like oh sorry something i want to say that like something that kind of annoyed me a little bit was when it came to the songs when it came to like the musical direction in that like almost every time vanessa or nina began to sing and had their moment in a song i just felt that it was very kind of stock the the style of music the style of vocal delivery and like i that it was like it was very like disney princess it was like princess jasmine's song now whereas the lads get to rap and they get to kind of mix it up and i kept waiting for them to have a rap or 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 to do something a little bit different that is something that's like a thread throughout lin-manuel miranda's work i think is that that often it's like he has a lot of the like the raps that he does are based on the flow of actual rappers and it's like he's written with a particular um 
rapper in mind and then like even if you look at Hamilton it's like all these specific rappers and then for the women it's like oh I kind of base this on like female singers who aren't rappers it's quite like high like soprano quite breathy vocals a lot of the time and it is something that I felt like I was missing even when they're in the salon it's still very much like a singing sort of thing and there was moments where like yeah I wouldn't mind if one of them just absolutely tore into a rap and I don't think it's not because they don't have it in them I think it's it is a choice where it's like they're seen as more like the delicate emotional side of things um and maybe that's a representation of the society itself and how male and female are viewed and he's writing with that in mind but yeah I I it is a little annoying it felt dated to me as a choice. I thought I thought there should have been a bit more variety and equality there. I, yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point. He he certainly seems to be better at writing for the male characters, and I do think that uh, Leslie Grace and Melissa Barrera are kind of a little let down by that. But I will say he has written a banger for one of the lead female characters. So could we have a listen to that, please? So you, you say banger, Higgs. I don't know. That one kind of, that that was around the point when I was like, I'm ready for the credits. Oh no, there's like 45 minutes left. But yeah, I suppose everyone gets their moment, as Norma says. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a lovely moment. Uh, and I think the character of Bella Claudia is, is fantastic. And it's, it's, it's a definitely a very kind of traditional musical in terms of like, this feels like this is the big number. This is the... Uh, I dreamed a dream moment. Um, yeah, I think I think it's really good, and I think like the story within it is is fantastic. Talk how uh, she's talking about kind of coming to New York in the forties with her mother as a girl. Uh, and there's lots of just like very kind of like nice images in it. Like there's one where she's talking about like how they had to bribe the superintendent of like a building just to get to the roof, just to be able to like see out and kind of like pay their way to the top. Um, I feel like it's like the emotional peak of the movie. That character has like uh, an incredible dignity to her, and I think that is like reflected in how it sang. I just found it quite affecting. Well, hang on. Not that I want to, you know, like reverse anything here, because obviously we are saying that there probably isn't enough good enough tunes for the women in this movie. Uh, and yeah, it's earned. She is a great character. It's a touching moment as well where it leads. But let me ask you this: Would it have been better if Jimmy Smith sang it? So. <laughs> So Jimmy Smith can't sing, I think, like, and that's not a shot at Jimmy Smith. Like, he comes in, and we were both excited. I think you punched the air when I did a little fist he, bump he comes in uh, up, yeah. on In the Heights, and he's, like, singing Good Morning to his Navi. Um, there is apparently in the musical a song that Kevin Rosario sings, and it's about a conflict between him and Nina. I just don't think 
Jimmy can hold it. Even like his singing in this is very much just like I'm talking, but I'm also singing, which is fine. (laughs) I would have, I would have happily, very very nice. (laughs) I would have, I would have happily had that from Jimmy Smith in this. I would have taken a four minute. Four minute uh, turn of that, but um, I mean, if they really wanted to, they could have pulled a Mamma Mia on it and gone back and written something for him. If they, if they were like, we really need that moment, but obviously it was just like this thing is too long as it stands. <laughs> or maybe it could have been a Pierce Brosnan situation, and it was like, look, he just doesn't have it, man. We, we don't want to hang. But that's him what to they did. Like that's this. what I just said, Dave. But I, I haven't seen it. But I, but I, I in Mamma Mia, that, like, they wrote Pierce Brosnan in a song because he wasn't able to sing. So, so, hang on, so it's a self-referential song? No, as in like, in the original musical Mamma Mia, there's a song that his character sings, but he wasn't able for it. So they went back and wrote a new song to be able he, to like fit his ability. That he could sing. Oh my God. Yeah. But I, thought, I, thought, I thought the whole I thing thought on him was that. like... <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Because I, like, I, like, all, all I knew coming out of that, I haven't seen those films, but all I knew coming out of those films was that everyone was like, Pierce Brosnan is way out of his depth when it oh, comes way, to singing. Yeah. Wild. I didn't realize that they actually like tried to work around. That's fascinating. And yeah. <laughs> did 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 it work? Do you think? I mean, he sings his bit of a song and it's grand. But I remember being like, I don't recognize this song. And then I was like, Oh, because it's new. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the story behind it. Um, I mean, right. there could be some diehard Pierce Brosnan Pierce Brosnan fans who come after me and they're like, How fucking dare you? <laughs> well, we'd like to hear from them. It's noencoreshow at gmail.com. It's patreon.com slash noencore if you like to support the show, of course. And yes, I guess that's in the heights. Uh, fun movie, I thought. I, I'd recommend it. But yeah, it's, you know, it's got issues. But, you know, like as, as two and a half hour musicals go, you could probably do a lot worse. It's the same length as Aquaman, Norma. Would you say you enjoyed Aquaman more? I got up and made tea during Aquaman and I couldn't do that during In the Heights. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but right. I did go to the um, bathroom. <laughs> if there's nothing else to say about this one, first of all, I want to say thank you to our sonic architect, David Tapley, who's editing this episode and is also sitting patiently with us now at a laptop screen without a microphone. But we'll get him back on the show soon. Do not worry. Uh, nod or shake your head, Tappy. Will you be on for the next episode based on the film that we've chosen that we're about to throw to? You will. Okay, good stuff. <laughs> Tappy's going to join us for the next time No Popcorn convenes for a film that has a musical tinge. It will be this film with this musical tinge. Hit the trailer, please. I just read about this guy, right, who invented Instagram. He sold it for $400 million. Now, he was 26 years old. You guys want to make real money? You want to live and die in the valley? We got to get out of here. Hey, you know, this party's looking a little stiff. So what are you saying? I need to amp it up? I mean, you can try. It's the DJ's job to get the crowd out of their heads and into their bodies. I like to start them off at about 125 beats per minute. Once you've locked onto their heart rate, you start bringing them up, song by song. 128 beats per minute. That's the magic number. Yeah, that's the magic number, apparently. And that's Zac Efron as a DJ in conversation with Emily Ratajkowski there. The film is We Are Your Friends. It came out in 2015, I believe. Higgs has wanted to do this one for quite some time. It's 96 minutes long. It has a 38% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Where are we going with this one, David Higgins, do we think? In terms of do we think we will like this movie? Yeah, that's a fair enough question, I suppose. Or why did you uh, like? You have like a master doc with films we could do for this show, and this one's this one's been languishing in there for some time. Norma, we, uh, jazzed we, it up to our attention earlier on, and I guess I this did. is what we're doing next. 
We needed some EDM representation, so... Yeah, it's um, going to be a hot, sweaty summer of EDM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Buckle and who better, who, who better than EDM specialist David Tapley of Tandem Felix to join us for this episode? That's going to be a good one. <laughs> and yeah, that's coming soon. I haven't seen this movie before. Um, I'm not expecting great things, but it might be a nice change of pace. We'll see how we go. For now, Norma Howard, Dave Higgins, David Tapley, thank you all. Thank you for listening, listener. And uh, that's In the Heights. Go check it out if, if, if you like what you heard. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been no popcorn there will be no popcorn no encore every week take care good luck goodbye here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.